Exurga deus dissipentur inimici eius, et fugiant quio deruntium a facie eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. I don't know if I'm going to post this podcast episode, um, but before I forget, I want to hat tip and direct your attention over to a new YouTube program called The Twelfth Station. I just saw the first episode. I've been actually, as I'm recording this, I'm still actually in the middle of watching the first episode. But it's Bug Hall and James Mon. Those of you who are on Twitter know Bug Hall. And this has been a spectacular conversation just uh, thus far. So I highly recommend that you uh, click it over to it, subscribe, and all, and all, you know, all the stuff that uh, promotes it in the algorithm. And I'm going to do something I never do, which is put the link in the description, so you can actually just scroll down to the to the Bug Hall on YouTube, um, where it says Bug Hall on YouTube, and the YouTube will be highlighted. Just click on YouTube, and it'll jump you over uh, to their first video. <clears throat> all right. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangelo, defende nos in proelio, contra nequitiam et insidias diaboli est opraecidium. Imperatili Deus supplicas de precamor, tuque princeps militae calestis, sanctanam aliosque spiritus malignos qui ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum letrude. Amen. Coriesus Sacratissimum, miserere nobis, Mater Dolorosa, ora pro nobis, Sancto Iosef Terror Daimonum, ora pro nobis, Domine ostende facium tuum et salvierimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est, Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. So I'm listening to this conversation and they are talking about masculinity. And I think it's actually wildly entertaining because masculinity, um, if you scroll through most of the talkers in Catholic social media, so like Catholic Twitter, Catholic YouTube, um, you know, Catholic Rumble, Catholic BitChute, Catholic Odyssey, whatever, a lot of the trads who are talking about it, most of, most of them are converts and reverts. The vast majority are converts and reverts. Um, you look at Dr. Taylor Marshall who was, uh, if I remember correctly, he's Episcop he was an Episcopalian. In fact, if I remember correctly, he was an Episcopalian priest <clears throat> who converted to the Catholic faith. Um, Timothy Gordon, I think, was a cradle Catholic. I don't know for sure. Um, David Gordon, I believe the same, but again, don't know for sure. Um, Michael Voris over at Church Militant. Uh, Revert himself. Um, now Michael Matt over at the remnant, he's, you know, he's a cradle Catholic. He's a cradle traditional Catholic at that. Um, and so I guess he would be the exception, but if you actually look across at most of his, if you look across at most of the content, he doesn't actually talk about masculinity a whole lot. Um, he does talk about a lot of the sort of effeminized clergy, um, but he doesn't, but like, he, but he doesn't do like whole episodes on masculinity himself. What I notice is that actually seems to hover around the converts and the reverts for the most part. And there are some exceptions, but you look at like Ryan Grant or um, Mike over at RTF, Steve over at census Fidelium. Um, like if you take the broad, like if you, if you were to cast the net out there wide, what you find is you find a lot of Catholic converts and reverts who are talking about masculinity. Um, 
I haven't done specifically too many episodes on masculinity, uh, but it's certainly one of the causes, you know, the pat. I do talk a lot about the patrimony of the church, um, which is obviously distinctively different from the patriarchy because the patrimony has more to do with the inheritance that we were uh, in the most, for the most part, since the second Vatican council denied. But everybody who's talking about masculinity, I enjoy watching the discourse on Twitter because it descends really, really quickly. They're like, oh, you got all these bearded people smoking pipes and cigars and this, that and the other. And they're and they're embracing these archetypes and they're drinking alcohol on camera and blah, 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 blah. Like, no joke. Um, and I got to be honest with you, like when you look across, some of them do not look. I mean, they're. Some of them do not look. They don't necessarily appear masculine. Um, according to the archetype. However, they are following the archetype. Um, not necessarily because they want to, but because they're trying to promote it as something that we have, we have no business being ashamed of proper masculinity. There's no one on the earth who should be ashamed of being, of being masculine, unless you're, you know, a woman, because masculinity is not appropriate. Femininity is, appro is an appropriate womanly trait. Effeminacy is not. Effeminacy is not appropriate in women, and it is not most certainly not appropriate in men. But femininity in women is absolutely appropriate, is, is, the, is an absolutely appropriate station for women. Just like masculinity is an appropriate station for men. I find it entertaining because you get a lot of people and... I find it entertaining because I like to see how badly uh, modernism has actually infiltrated even, even many traditional Catholics' minds. And that's saying something, honestly. Because I've seen legitimate, like, legitimately Catholic men just go... <laughs> when they see things that, you know, brush up... When they see things that brush up against the American culture that they've subsumed, that they've subsumed within themselves. Um, now I don't, I don't talk about the fact that I smoke a whole lot. Um, I don't smoke in my apartment because it's my apartment and I don't own the building, but I can assure you that if I owned the building and I, or at least if I owned the domicile space that was my apartment, um, I would, I still wouldn't smoke cigarettes in the, in, in the apartment, but I would smoke, but I would smoke my pipe, um, in the apartment. Because pipe smoke and and cigar smoke um, is far more warm feeling than that sort of death smoke that comes from cigarettes. <clears throat> the <clears throat> I don't drink a lot. Actually, I scarcely drink at all. But when I do, I tend to be a little bit uppity about what I drink. You know, I... I don't drink a whole lot in, in, in the way of scotch and whiskey. Um, I do like it on occasion. It's more of a social drink. Um, vodka, I will drink on a Zoom call <laughs> because it's, um, it's almost social. And I'm very picky about my vodka. In fact, actually, of all of the brands of vodka, there's only one that I buy. One. Because all the rest are crap. And it's not even, and it's not even a far reach. Like it, it's, it's not like, oh, hey, this one's, this one's great. And the next one is almost as good. It's this one's great. And there is no second place. 
because all of the second places, even the even the expensive ones, are trash. <clears throat> now, can't say the same about whiskey. Can't say the same about bourbon. Um, it's different. There, you know, I'm still exploring my palate when it comes to the whiskeys and the bourbons and all that. But even, but there again too, it's a social drink for me. And it's the sort of social drink that there will be cigars or, or pipes. Why? Because that is a long-standing tradition among men in Christendom. And as soon as you sit down and, and smoke a cigar with another group of men, or with, with, with a group of men, and you're sitting there and you're having the bourbon and you're having the scotch, or the whiskey. You immediately understand why it is a long-standing tradition in Christendom among men. <clears throat> now, is it to say that women can't participate? No, not at all. Not at all. I have a great appreciation for a woman who can understand, who can understand and in, and enjoy a good cigar and a good scotch or a good bourbon, or a good whiskey. But that's not an everyday thing, and in all honesty, it's really not particularly the purview of women to sit around and smoke and joke, or talk business, or whatever. It's a different, it's, it's a different style. I find it entertaining because I look across, and I look across at uh, some of the more left-leaning uh, you know, even radical feminist women who are in knitting social groups online. There aren't that many men in knitting social groups. Why? Because we don't really need to be doing a thing with our fingers. We don't really need to be doing a thing. Even, even, even the artists among us. Pencil to paper. Paintbrush to canvas. Chisel, chisel and hammer to stone? Or, you know, threat needle and thread, but to leather? If you ever wonder why these things sort of break down the way they are, it is a natural affinity. It has nothing to do with... Oh, this isn't the purview necessary. This isn't the purview of men, or this isn't the purview of women. It is an expression of the different natural affinities between men and women. So, if sitting around smoking a cigar, or smoking a pipe, and drinking some scotch or bourbon or whiskey, while you're clouding up a par parlor with that with that sweet with that sweet aromatic smoke. discussing politics or religion or that funny thing that happened at work the other day. If you find that that's not, you know, what attracts you, well, I mean, okay, cool. But what I've noticed is even the younger men, particularly on social media, the first time they actually sit down and they engage in a smoking group, with the brown liquor of choice. 
they immediately understand. Now, this is not a condemnation to any of my followers on Twitter who happen to have done this, but they do also have a tendency to post it like a girl on social media. <laughs> but social media is, is, you know, the modern plague of our day. And if that's the worst they do, well, so be it. Now, all of this digression and all like no joke, the whole point of this po- this podcast episode is for me to digress in all in all of these avenues. So if you thought there was going to be a central point, the central point is just the purview of men. What masculinity actually is. If you're a man, even if you're a non-smoker, you have to understand there's a reason why the smell of pipe tobacco attracts you, even if you can't see yourself actually actually sitting there smoking, smoking a cigar or smoking a pipe. There's a reason. There's a reason why this was the form of recreation of kings and lords and princes and parliamentarians there's a reason why this is the purview of every power of every man of power and every group and every group of even even what's the word i'm looking for even among men with a mere mediocre amount of culture and you can Identify, you can define that however you want. I'm not actually going to place a, a definition to that because I've found that that men whom you would think have a mediocre identification or a, a, media, a mediocre um, understanding of culture manage to rise to the occasion and show you exactly how much culture they really have. Which is usually a surprise because they never get a chance to use it. They never get a chance to talk about it. They never get the chance among men to talk about manly things. What you get instead is you get this profanity-laden get-together. You get men who will talk trash to each other across social media or while video gaming or something like that. It is altogether a sterile neutered form of male bonding. Yes. Does it sometimes mean that you're going to have to put on a tie and wear a button-down shirt? Does it sometimes mean that you're going to have to dress more formally than than the grunt-style ball cap t-shirt and cargo shorts? Yes. But even the grunt style t-shirt, cargo shorts, ball cap wearing dude, when surrounded among his friends with a quality selection of tobacco and an even more quality selection of the brown liquor of choice, even they will rise to that occasion. I remember back when I was 21 or 22. I know I was recently back from Kosovo. So probably just turning 21, about to become 22. About once a month, in between my bouts of 
ridiculous, debaucherous partying and work. About once a month, the beatniks that, that I used to hang out with, and I call them beatniks, not in the traditional sense. I mean, well, it's partially, in, it's inspired after the traditional sense, but we did not exercise nearly, well, mm, we did not exercise nearly the depravity at the beatnik get-togethers that, um, that the actual beatniks did in the 20s and 30s. And about once a month, we would ha- we would get together for what we called scotch after midnight. And inevitably, it was after midnight on a Sunday night going into Monday that we would all get together. And we'd have scotch and we'd talk poetry and we would talk politics and we would talk religion or the lack thereof. Um, admittedly, most of us were not were irreligious. And so the rel- the deep discussions could only ever get to that um, the milk and honey Protestant level of theology. But it was a get-together of men of all ages, from our oldest poets and beatniks to our youngest up-and-comers. And there would be Occasionally something a little bit more harsh than scotch, but since most of, since most of us were beholden to the military, it was very rarely ever that it certainly wasn't that um, when there were large when there were large groups of us who were from the base. And it was sort of a proto version of what we would later do. And actually, with my group of friends, what we would later do after all of us had gone to war for the first time. Because we would go to because we went to war and then when we came back, we had our families, we were sitting in the backyard, and we would do largely the same thing. It's funny because you don't think about it, but if you watch a movie like Gods and Generals. Or if you watch, even if you watch one of the newer um, shows like Penny Dreadful, or anything that would cover <clears throat> guys getting together, like usually would drive to push the plot forward, but there would be a group of guys with some scotch, some bourbon, some whiskey, or whatever, smoking cigars, planning the future, making decisions, and figuring out how they were going to move forward with whatever. And it was usually to drive a plot. And they would cut out all the stuff that was just them sitting there having idle chatter, catching up, finding out what's going on with so-and-so's grandson or so-and-so's uh, you know, cousin or whatever. They would cut out most of the other interesting things that would actually give depth to the, and humanity to the individual characters in order to drive the plot forward. <clears throat> but inevitably, all of those decisions would happen, even amongst friends. even in the lower classes. It's not to say that we all aspire to be higher class men, but it is that for everyone from a young boy through the disaster that is the average of teenage years, 
on into the early 20s. We all aspire to be the men. There are a lot of people, um, particularly in the military, one of my one of my favorite mantras as a young private was fake it until you make it. You don't feel like the hardcore soldier. So you fake it. You go through the motions of being a hardcore soldier, even if you don't believe it. You don't believe that you're the hardcore soldier. I know for the longest time, I most certainly did not believe I was a hardcore soldier until until one night in a firefight when one of my compatriots looked at me and said, you didn't even raise your voice. We had bombs falling, bullets flying, and you were just giving instructions. You'd fire back, and then you'd give more instructions. And the whole time, you never raised your voice. You didn't even seem bothered. It was just like it was just another day. And I remember being told that, and I was just like, holy crap. That was what I always wanted to be. I wanted to be the guy that when everything was going to hell, nobody could disturb me. As a young man, I wanted to go special forces. It was actually only up until I realized that I absolutely loved conventional warfare and the absolute um, potential for total dominance on a battlefield that well-executed conventional warfare can afford. Um, and I didn't even realize that I'd loved conventional warfare as much as I did until I was in a role as an asymmetric warfare um, operative, for lack of a better word. And one of the SF guys looked at me and he goes, dude, you should, you should go to selection. Like, when you get back, you should totally go to selection. You would be perfect in the special forces. And I looked at him and I was like, I appreciate the compliment, but I don't think you understand how much I love conventional warfare, how beautiful, well-executed combined arms warfare is. And I meant it, every word of it. But those would be the two, like those would actually be the two, the two triggers that let me know that the guy that I wanted to be back when I, back when I was 17 year old private Caleb. The one who I dreamed of becoming, I eventually became. And I didn't notice that over the, I mean, it was almost 12, 13 years. It was at least six of those years. I know for a fact I was faking it. I was doing what I knew had to be done, even though I was terrified of every step. And I suffered a lot for it, to be sure, because, you know, you get your you get your pluses, you get your drawbacks. And anytime you stand up with integrity, people try to come after you. But I'd been faking it for so long. That it wasn't fake anymore. That Sergeant Caleb was actually. You know, competent. That he could actually look at a situation and go, 
this is the right thing to do. And we're going to stand here and we're going to take this mountain. We're going to take this hill. We're going to hold this position no matter what, because that's what we're supposed to do. And if anybody's asking why I'm referring to Sergeant Caleb in a third person is because in all honesty, it really does feel like another life. It does feel like a lifetime ago. <clears throat> There's a significant amount that has changed in my life since then. Um, and that young sergeant seems very much like a different human being from who I am today. There's not one of those. It's not intended to be that sort of, oh, he's talking about himself in the third person. It's just there are some things about that man that are completely alien to me today. Even though I've lived all of those experiences and I've integrated all of that into who I am today, there's so much more that I see in my life today that I see in the world today that even that well-seasoned veteran seems like a completely different human being. So please, please don't assume that I'm speaking about myself in the third person like, <laughs> like I'm all that or something. It's just that man, when I look back, he seems almost like an alien. It seems very much alien to the way I am today. But his example, the example that I lived through, it's still pertinent. It's still important. It may not be, it may not be fundamental to the formation of every man, but it is fundamental to the formation of at least some. That the concept fake it till you make it is not meant to be that you just fake it until finally you make it to where you're trying to be. It's you fake the funk of who you want to be until you've done it so many times. You've done the things that who you want to be would do that you eventually become who you wanted to be. I do the same thing with the faith. I want to be a saint. I'm not. I'm a monster. But if I do the things for the love of God, specifically with the love of God in mind, and I do them long enough, someday I might actually be the saint I wanted to be. I do the things that are uncomfortable, that seem foreign, that seem alien. Because those are the things that a saint would do. Because I love my God enough to want to try and be one of his. And somewhere down the line, 10, 20, 30, five minutes, who knows? I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, so we'll just go 10, 20, 30 years or maybe five minutes from now. But somewhere down the line, I'll eventually be the saint that God wanted for me to be. Because I love him and because I'm willing to do the things that are uncomfortable, even though they're completely alien to me. Eventually, I'll be in such a habit of doing those things that I'll actually be the saint 
I wanted to be. That's what fake it until you make it is supposed to mean. Now, you do have that simultaneous derogatory, oh, fake it till you make it, you know. You don't actually have to be competent. No, you fake competence until you are competent. You continue to run the patterns of what competent people do until eventually you realize, oh, crap, I'm competent. And you may never actually have that realization. To be perfectly honest with you, I did not think that I was going to be the calm, cool, collected guy in, in a firefight until eight hours after the start of a very long firefight, somebody said, holy crap, I've never seen anyone that calm in combat. I didn't even know how to take it. I wrote it off. I was like, well, you know, sir, I was kind of half asleep. I don't know. But I can't write off being half asleep for eight hours. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's kind of not a thing. <laughs> but that's what fake it till you make it supposed to be. You do the things that a saint would do. You do the things, whatever it is that you're trying to become, you do those things. Until they become second nature, until they become part of your nature. And so if in masculinity we LARP with cigars and scotch, eventually it's not going to be a LARP anymore. And besides, true masculinity is so popular, it's what feminists have been after for almost 100 years now. Because they really are jealous. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.